On edition one of Life in Sense, we speak to author and poet Lavinia Greenlaw. I mean, they say that smells the most acute memory sense, and I think mostly the importance of smell comes about through memory, so it's looking back. The writer talks us through some of the scents that have meant something to her. But the smell of the paper, of paper and the paperback book and ink. Through her work to how she thinks about her family. And I just followed this smell. I was absolutely convinced. I didn't stop and think about it. I was absolutely convinced. I, I just went to find her. Those smells that somehow jump out to her from the past. Especially the merman who was a fake made out of fish and dog. This is Lavinia Greenlaw's Life in Sense. It's like opening the cap and having the genie come out of the bottle. <laughs> I'm Joe Barrett and joining me on Life in Sense is Odette Toilette. In the coming months, we're going to be telling stories from people's lives through the smells and scents they can remember. Here is Odette to tell us about her passion for scent and how it led to the creation of her events company, Scratch and Sniff. As someone who has always been obsessed with smell since about the age of three, I was really keen to find events where I could meet people who were also intrigued by this and talk about it, but there weren't any, so I thought, well, I'd better do it myself. And since 2010, that's what I've been doing every month. Could you maybe give, maybe give us some examples of some of the themes of your events? Well, almost nothing is off limits, Joe. That's not true, actually. But um, we've had all sorts of themes. We've looked at uh, our teenage years and growing up and thinking about scent and nostalgia. We've taken a scented journey around the world where we've used perfumes as a kind of device for armchair travel. And we've also done events about the history of male identity and fragrance and looking at the, the fact that gendered scent is a very recent phenomenon. So every month we take a different topic, try lots of samples, get some interesting content in and have fun. Fantastic. And where can people go to find out, find out more about this? Well, if you go to scratchandsniffevents.com, you can see forthcoming events and book tickets. Lavinia Greenlaw is a writer. She's a poet, a novelist, and non-fiction writer. Her collection called Minsk was shortlisted for the T.S. Eliot Poetry Prize. Most recently, she has written a travelogue called Questions of Travel, William Morris in Iceland, where she follows and echoes the Victorians' writings on this country. And this is, a, this is a beautiful, beautifully put together book, isn't it? If you're a design buff, then you need to collect all of the Notting Hill editions. This is the publisher who are putting together a new breed of essays, and I want them all. Life in Sense, with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette. We went to meet Lavinia in her home and began by asking her about the smells she remembers from childhood. I think uh, there are particular scents I associate with my parents. With my father, it's the smell of a chest of drawers, a really dark, dry wood smell. And it seemed that all the, his clothes that were stored in that smelt of that as well. And whenever I come across that kind of furniture, it just takes me straight back to that. There was a chest of drawers in the, my parents' bedroom, which had all my father's shirts and jerseys in it. And it was, the wood was so dark, it was almost black. And the smell of the chest of drawers was equally dark. 
and very, very dry. And I find that now I'm always looking for, when I drink red wine, I'm always looking for a wine that tastes like a chest of drawers. I did once ask for it and was given it, but I didn't write it down. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and did the smell of the chest of drawers cling to him, to his person? It clung to his clothes, yeah. A dry, a dry wood smell. Yes. Yes. Life in sense. The other smell I would associate with him is, is photographic fixer, which is such a sharp smell that just thinking about it now makes my mouth start watering because he set up a little darkroom in one of our sheds. He was a doctor and was very busy, and so we didn't get to spend much time with him. And because I'm one of four kids, I didn't get much time on, with him on our own. But one of the things I do remember is spending time with him in the darkroom, developing pictures, and that smell of fixer, which kind of overwhelms everything else that you put up with it because you're watching an image developing was was it was yeah it was very powerful very concentrated smell for a concentrated moment with my dad do you still find that smell because now we're mostly taking digital photos those sorts of chemicals aren't necessarily around anymore no i was thinking about this because um when i think about say my the memories of my writing life they start in smells of ink and paper and typewriter ribbon, which had a particularly, um, a smell that was very interesting because it was, was kind of wet, um, but also dusty somehow because of whatever chemicals they used in the ribbon. But the smell of, the pa of paper and the paperback book and ink surrounded what I did and now writing doesn't really have any <laughs> smells associated with it at all. It makes me think that um, that as the technology has changed a whole kind of sense memory field has disappeared as well to do with things like making books or making photographs. At the time when you were growing up were you conscious of smell being important to you? Was it a part of your life and something you actively used or is it only now looking back that those smells have surfaced? I mean they say that smells the most acute memory sense and I think mostly the importance of smell comes about through memory so it's looking back and I, it's also experiencing the activation of memory through smell that makes you keep those connections very strongly in place. Um, I think when I was a child, like many children smell, certain smells comforted me. Um, the smell of my mother's bread, which I didn't like to eat because it was incredibly brown and solid. And now, of course, I miss it. <laughs> but, um, but the smell of the dough rising in the drying cupboard, you'd go to get a towel out of the drying cupboard and there'd be this enormous bowl full of um, rising dough. And, and that sort of smell was comforting or... Oh, particular smells, uh, the smell of bonfire in the rain, which was both from growing up bonfires in the garden. And uh, I used to be sent on these camps every year from when I was eight to when I was 16, where you did everything over a fire, you cooked everything, and um, there were no modern comforts or amenities. 
so those sort of smells were very much associated with particular yeah, particular moments of comfort. Life in sense. But the thing about um, being thrown by smell back into the past is something that only I only became conscious of in adulthood. I'm sure it happens as you're growing up, but when you're growing up, you take those kind of experiences for, as, as just a simple reflex and you don't think about what they might mean. But when I was about, um, I don't know, 20, 25 or so, I was in a crowded department store and I smelt my mother and I just followed this smell. I was absolutely convinced. I didn't stop and think about it. I was absolutely convinced that she was in this store and I knew she wasn't even in London, but I, I just went to find her before I could stop myself. And it turned out that what I was following was a trail of the scent she used to wear, which was Miss Deal. And we have a bottle here. Um, well, well, tell us about this bottle because there's a tiny bit of Miss Dior inside. Yes, this is a lovely old silver perfume bottle which um, my father gave my mother and I, it's older than either of them. She used to put some of her perfume in it. It's ended up with me and I can still smell her and it's almost like opening the cap and having the genie come out of the bottle. <laughs> what, when you smell it now, what does it make you think in relation to your mother? It makes me think of her, her quiet elegance, really. She, and, and a sense of somebody who was, is, she's still around, <laughs> is, graceful and measured and feminine and attentive to detail. It feels quite, it, it's, it smells stately somehow even though it's a girl's it's a girlish scent do you ever wear it or have you ever worn it no i gave it to my daughter but i didn't wear it myself and does your mother still wear it she i don't think she does no she's odd because she still smells like my mother <laughs> <laughs> But she, you know, my father is photographic fixer. My mother is, is tea, I think. She had um, a chest, a very old chest that belonged to her great-grandparents, I think, which, in which she kept loose tea. And she used to mix a slightly eccentric blend of very good Earl Grey and very cheap Indian. And this was what we drank. and. I still, I can't write without a cup of tea. Life in sense. When you were then growing up or a teenager, mm. was there an age when scent and perfume suddenly became interesting to you? When I turned 13 and decided I really ought to try to be a girl and I got into disco and tried to, very hard to be, you know, that's the square root of girl. And so I, I tried very hard and, and, and wore the pencil skirt and the wedge platform shoes and tonged back my hair. And so hairspray, the smell, I mean, my mother used Elnet 
and I used the cheapest toughest hairspray I could find so there's that smell everything then was very synthetic and sweet and all those lip glosses were coming out with sort of the cherry flavored lip gloss perfumes like Charlie and and the boys all wore brute and all of these things now seem incredibly brash but I think in the 70s there was so little color and so little noise and so little sensory life for a teenager that things had to be turned right up. And then after that, we moved into punk, which was a different kind of breaking things down. I suppose breaking things down and then turning them up differently. So for the, the disco years was kind of melon and peach and cherry, not the real things at all, but sort of the idea of them, which is kind of more exciting than the real thing. And then suddenly I was in punk and the smells I associate with that would be leather and plastic and peroxide and acetone because of um, nail polish remover, the, being, the, the ritual of being hauled aside in the school corridor and sent to the chemistry lab where the technician would take off your nail polish with neat acetone and your nails would go yellow and smell all day. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, Charlie, which is now seen as really girly and fey, when it first came out, the Charlie advert was the first ever advert to feature a woman in a pair of trousers. Really? Yeah. <laughs> first ever TV it, ad. It was definitely, I mean, I would associate Charlie with a kind of slightly pert tomboy type. Cute denim and roller skates, pigtails. It felt like a conventional perfume but um but it didn't fe seem fey and it i think i think it was quite cartoonish in the way that brute was for boys a sort of cartoonish version of masculinity or femininity but we were trying out the idea of things we didn't want the real complicated life of being men and women yet so i think it suited us and when you got into punk, were the smells of punk, the accoutrements and accessories and the things you had about you anyway? Or was there a smell or a, a scent that you wore as part of it? I wore Van Cleef and Arpel's men's aftershave simply because it turned up somewhere. But I, I at that point, I very much wanted not to be a girl and was wearing kind of things I found in the old men's suits and mismatched, misfitting everything and spiking and dyeing my hair. You just used what was around, what was in front of you. So if a bottle of something turned up, on it went. The other smells I associate with punk are particularly wet leather uh, or leather that's been infused with cigarette smoke. I mean, at this time, everybody smoked everywhere. So you went to a gig and it was just full of smoke in the way that it, a room full of bodies would now smell of bodies. A room full of bodies then smelt of smoke. Again, this, this, the peroxide, the harsh chemicals we were using in dyeing our hair. And the fact that if you're wearing a lot of leather and plastic and you're knocking around 
English bus stops, you tend to smell rather damp and sodden. Those, yeah, those kind of sodden, sodden smells. The, the jumble sale smell is very much of that time because everything came from junk shops and jumble sales and it wasn't considered um, a cool thing to do and it wasn't and it was very much frowned upon um, but so everything had that been in the back of the cupboard for 40 years or been smell it's kind of naphthalene and mothball smell mixed with cigarette smoke and because I I had kind of um, pretensions. I, my, for me, it was French cigarette smoke. Life in sense. I suppose the cigarette is almost a lost smell now, a bit like the other, some of the other yes. scents we've been talking about, because you don't have pubs or gigs that smell of fags anymore. No, and uh, I'm ashamed to say that when I smell a cigarette, it does have a nice nostalgic effect on me. I wouldn't like to be in a room full of people smoking, but when I walk past and you just get a whiff of it, it takes me straight back to that time. Interesting smell of innocence and seriousness, because we were ridiculously serious. Believing that, that things were really changing and that music could change them and that we could change what we would have to end up being. And of course, in some ways you can, but you find out pretty quickly all the ways you can't. I think the other very powerful smell memories from my teenage years are of the difference between town and country because I was born in London and lived there till I was 11 and then we moved to a village in Essex and going back to London I noticed smell as I never had when I lived there and the, the one I noticed above all was the smell of the tube station in particular the air that wafts around the corner that trapped warm dusty air um, and your ticket used to smell just the same if you had the ticket in your pocket it had smelt like that air and that that smell translated in a very strange way out in Essex into the smell of the stubble burning so in autumn when they used to burn the fields you would get the same sort of heat and dust very English heat and dust I mean, always combined with something of rain. There's rain in every English smell, I think. And so those, those more elemental smells I was taking in and not noticing until I'd left them behind me. Life in sense. When you were in your 20s, what smells are striking you now as representative of that time or important to you? At that age. Well, the most important thing I did in my 20s was have a baby. And uh, I was thinking about this. I don't know how to describe the smell memories or as associations I have with my daughter because they are so complex and intense and so complete and also continuous. I haven't got outside them because they're still around. Um, but that there's a combination of smells probably from her very early babyhood which would involve kind of well very much the smell of her of her skin and hair and breath um but also soap cream and 
all the things that that you are using continuously with a very new child. Of course, everyone develops their own smell. And I remember when she went off to university and I dropped her there and came home and felt fine and then walked into her room and I could smell her and I just missed her so much. I'm sure I annoy her because when I see her, I want to get close enough to her to smell her. I want to smell her hair. Let's get off. Life in sense. The Agnes B bottle here. Yes. What does that relate to? Well, I just found that just now when I was looking for something else in my daughter's room. It's actually mine and I wore it almost 20 years ago. But that's, that's the smell of 1993 for me. I wore it for quite a few years around that time because my daughter was then at school. I was um, going back to work as a publisher and, um, and in the arts. And, uh, and it feels, it, for me, it's a sort of grown-up around town smell because it was probably part of my stopping being at home with a baby and <laughs> dressing up and going out again. Did your daughter ever wear this? No, but I, I wonder why she kept the bottle. Maybe like I kept my mother's bottle. <laughs> She'll deny it. <laughs> She'll just say she likes the shape of the glass. <laughs> I was working in an office in Butler's Wharf on the river, on, on the river Thames which at that point had been redeveloped, but was still quite empty. They had turned all the old spice wharves into offices, and I worked in a building called Coriander Building, and next to me there was Clove Building and Ginger Building. And the streets between these warehouses were very, very narrow. And when it rained, you could walk down one of these lanes, and smells of all those spices would be coming out of the brickwork. Were they still being used at the time as no, warehouses? No, they hadn't been used for years as warehouses. They were just being redeveloped into offices and they were still empty. There was nothing to distract you really. There was just brick and rain and coriander or clove or ginger. They, they were very distinct. Every building, it, I can't believe that each building just dealt in the single spice. Maybe they did, who knows the scale of the spice trade. But it was very much almost like a sort of scratch and sniff experience because you'd see a name saying, you'd see a name like Coriander Building and you would smell coriander. I first thought I was imagining it, but uh, no, it was really there in the brick. I started writing as soon as I could write really. I mean, as soon as as soon as I could string words together, I was writing plays and poems and starting stories. And, and it was about ink and paper. Those were, those were the smells. Um, what and, ink did you use? Well, at school, we had to use proper pens. So we had bottles of quink. And that again, I think it's strange that the smells that are most powerful to me are these very dry ones. But yes, quink, again, that, that wet, dry smell has stayed with me. And I used to uh, you know, draw maps and, 
and, and, and we make quills out of bird feathers, pigeon feathers probably, and, uh, and dip them in ink and write stories that way for a while until, <laughs> until the feather wore out. But really the, the writing smell is, is, is the typewriter ribbon, I think. I got my first typewriter probably by the time I was eight, nine, ten. My parents gave me a, some 1920s typewriter. Smelt like a train station. So, so sort of metal. Yeah, oil and metal. And it, it made me, it, I don't know, made me think that what I was doing was, was industrious. <laughs> that this, this was, it, it made me always think of writing as very physical. And I do think of the words on the page as very physical. After I did my first degree, I went to the London College of Printing and studied printing and cast hot metal. And that, again, that, that smell, that to me is the smell of words. The smell of the problem of trying to fit and balance the words on the page. Life in Sense. There were sort of two other questions that I wanted to ask. When you became recognised as a poet, you went through a period of being a poet in residence related to the Science Museum, yes. is that right? Yes. And presumably spent time in that world yes. of, of science. Does that have a smell to you? I wanted to say it smells like a lab coat. I suppose that's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, in this, I spent a year in the Science Museum. I was their first artist in residence and it came about because I made a radio programme about science and poetry because science was a very natural subject and source for me having grown up in that environment. Um, but I couldn't smell anything because it was all behind glass. So no, I don't have a smell. The museum itself smells wonderful especially when the lights were out. When were you there when the lights were out? Well, they used to close the museum at six o'clock, but I had access and I had a little room I used and I could walk through the museum when they just had the very low lit security lights on. And, uh, and then, then you did have a real sense of, um, particularly, I think, just just machinery um there's so much extraordinary machinery in that place and then strange objects i became very attached to small peculiar objects especially the merman who was a fake made out of fish and dog and you didn't need to get that thing out of a glass case to smell it. And more recently, you've, um, you've moved. Does this house smell different? Well, at the moment, it smells of paint. Uh, I don't know this house's smell yet, but at the moment, I'm coming home to the smell of paint. I also spend a lot of my time now in Suffolk on a river that runs into the sea and quite a lot of time on the marshes. So those smells of mud and water and the mixture of salt and sweet water, very strong for me now.
In fact, they may be why I felt so at home when I started going there, because those are take, take, those are my childhood smells too. Do you still get that sense of the town smell versus the country smell? I love the smell of tarmac. I love the smell of a bare field. And I love the smell of a blank page. You've been listening to Lavinia Greenlaw's Life in Sense. To hear all of our episodes, go to lifeincense.com.